Good morning, church. My name is Laurel Brockschmidt. I am a covenant partner here and have the privilege of reading scripture to you this morning. The book of Hebrews is a letter of encouragement to followers of Jesus who are suffering for their faith. In our passage today, the author of Hebrews reminds his brothers and sisters and all of us that Jesus Christ is the mediator that connects us to the mercy and strength of the living God. We begin in Hebrews chapter 4 and continue through chapter 5 verse 10. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for his own sins, just as he, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we are glad to be in your presence today. We're glad that we can come together as your people and declare that your truth matters, that your presence matters, that prayer matters, and oh Lord, that your glory matters. Lord, help us to find in this place, in this world of turmoil, just a moment, a few minutes of rest, that Sabbath rest, that peace that you've promised. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. For those of you who have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Bob Fuller. I'm the senior pastor here at First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio, and it is wonderful to be with you today. But I'm just going to come to you today uh, in the the middle of a lot of things going on in the world and tell you that that my heart's pretty heavy today, as I imagine is, and I imagine that's the way a lot of you all feel in this room today. 
Over the last few days, I have been challenged. I have been shocked, but I also want to say that I've been inspired. I've been inspired by the courage of people around the world. I've been inspired by the courage of the Ukrainian people, not only their courage to fight, but their courage too to protect their homes, to protect their homeland, and especially their courage to pray. You see, as I've been watching not only American news over the last few days, watching international news, I've seen people gathered all over the world. Ukrainians, yes, especially in places like England and in the subways of Kiev and, and other places like that to pray, to lift up their hands in prayer. But I've also seen gatherings of people in, in Russia and in, uh, in, in Hungary in Poland, all of these places where people are getting together because they know that they can trust God and they want to lean on him in this moment. And I, want, I just want to ask you, have any of you all seen any of these videos of Ukrainians praying? Have you seen any of these videos of them down in the subway singing to God? I've seen them singing in churches. I've seen them singing in the streets. I've seen them, seen them praying in homes in England, all over the place. And if you watch these videos, they will break you down and they will build you up at the same time. And what's amazing to me is that even in the face of overwhelming odds, when it seems like everyone else in the world has abandoned them, their courage to pray is a testament to the fact that they still trust God. It's a gut check. When they pray, I can just imagine that there have to be certain questions on their mind. Questions like this. Is God real? Is this worth it? Is he in control? Does God have the power to make a difference in this war, in our lives, and in this world? And if he does have the power, does he care? I mean, really, if, if he's got all this power, why isn't he doing, doing anything? Does he understand our problems? Does he understand how hard it is? Now, you may be asking some of those same types of questions, not because you're in a war, but because you're in a war zone all your own. It might be a personal family tragedy. It might be just a, a loss. It might be confusion. It might be just something that, that is really pressing you. Maybe your problems aren't geopolitical, but they are personal and they're real. And maybe you're having trouble mustering that, that energy to pray, but when you do, you're still asking those kinds of questions. Well, the early Christians that we are reading about were asking those same kinds of questions. Those early Christians to whom the book of Hebrews were written, was written had committed their lives to follow Jesus Christ. And even though they weren't in a war per se, they were definitely in a war zone. They lost friends and family, people who alienated them because they decided to follow Jesus Christ. They were losing business connections. They were persecuted. They were losing their freedom. They were losing their property. And they were beginning to ask, is this really worth it? And on top of all that, all of the supports that they once had, the community supports, the, the relationships, even their religion, all of those supports were just knocked out from under them. Many of the familiar comforts of their old religion, including connection to the priests and their connection to God, were all gone. You see, in the Old Testament religion, the job of the priest 
was to connect the people to God. And they'd lost that connection. Throughout the year, the priests in Jerusalem represented the people before God in the temple, in the high holy days, in sacrifices, in the rituals, and all of the things that the priest did. When they went to the temple, they prayed the prayers. But when he prayed the prayers, the priest was praying on the people's behalf. And when he offered sacrifices, he was offering those sacrifices on the people's behalf. Now, were the priests the only, one who, only ones who prayed? Of course not. They weren't the only people who prayed. But the priest had a special role. The priest was a mediator. He was a human go-between between the people and God. Now, the priest was a middleman. And if we think about it, we understand middlemen. We, we use go-betweens all the time. The grocery store is a go-between between us and the farmers who produce food. A realtor is a mediator who represents a buyer to a seller in a house sale. He's the one going between them. And a priest, as his function, his function was to be that go-between between the people and God. And at that time, most Jews could not fathom approaching God in any other way than approaching God through a priest. I mean, you, you talk to the priest about what you need, and you give him your sacrifice, and then he takes it to God. This is the way the people related to God. And now that they are estranged from that relationship, now that they're estranged from Israel, all of those traditional comforts and supports and resources were gone. I mean, for all their lives, these Jewish Christians, these ones who would, had once been Jews and are now following Jesus, had had priests. They'd had people who connected them to God, people like them, people who prayed for them, who connected them to the living God of Israel and offered sacrifices for their sins. But now all that was gone. And one of the things that we gather from the book of Hebrews is that these new Christians were now cut off from their way of relating to God. To them, what that meant is that they lost their access to this covenant relationship that they had with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what do you think happened? As a result, many of these Jewish Christians started to panic. And they wanted back in. And so that's why the preacher of Hebrews says, in essence, wait a minute. Before you start running back, we do have a high priest. We have a great high priest, a great mediator. His name is Jesus, and he is the Son of God. And not only that, this new mediator is not only a human priest, he is the Son of God. You no longer have to go through a human priest. You can go directly to the Son of God. You have a new priest, and therefore you have a new relationship with God. But this new priest is not like the priest you had in the past. And so once again, we read today that the author of Hebrews goes back into the Old Testament to make a point. He says that Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Where's Melchi Bakari? Is he in here? Is Melchi in here? No, he's down in the nursery. Melchi is a member of our church, and boy, he lives up, he's got a big name to live up to. Do y'all know Melchi? Great young man. Well, Melchizedek. This is not only a name that is hard to pronounce, but it is also a concept 
that we need to, to understand a little better. I want you to say the word, the name with me, Melchizedek. Very good. First try. So who is Melchizedek and what does this mean? What does this statement mean? Well, we're going to spend some more time unpacking this in the future when we get to, to chapter 7 of Hebrews. But I really want to introduce this idea today. The author of Hebrews is going back into Hebrew history and he's saying, do you remember the old story of Melchizedek, the mysterious king who showed up out of nowhere in the Old Testament? Melchizedek. He was the king of the city of Salem, but he was also a priest of the one true God. And he was incomparably wise and incomparably righteous. And in the middle of the story, he says, in the middle of the story, he just seemed to come out of nowhere directly from God the Father to bless our ancestor Abraham. Are you with me? Okay, good. It's okay if you're not. Um, so, so Melchizedek was a king but he was also a priest. But the point is, he was a priest like you've never seen before. Once again, the, the author of Hebrews is drawing deep from the well of Hebrew history to make a point, and the point was this. The priests and the high priests with which you are familiar, the ones you grew up with who've been serving the Lord in the temple for generations, have been chosen from among men. But your new high priest... Jesus has come directly from God. He's like no other priest that you've ever had in the past. And you know what? He is the priest you want because he's the one who knows you and who gets you and understands you. And he is the priest you need because he is not just the priest. He is the son and heir of the king who sits upon the throne and has the power to make a difference in your life. He's the priest we want and the priest we need. So how is Jesus the priest we want? Well, most of all, he's the priest we want because he's the priest who gets us. He's the priest who gets us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. This is not a priest who is cold or pious or holier than thou. He is not an unreliable, distant authority figure all the way at the temple in Jerusalem. No, this is a priest who gets us. You know, there was a time in my life, or excuse me, there was never a time in my life when I did not believe in God. I've been around the church. I grew up in the church. I've always believed in God. I've always believed that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I've always believed that he was my savior. But nevertheless, for a lot of my early life, even though I believed in Jesus, I did not follow Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? I kind of lived a parallel life. I had a lot of religion, but very little relationship with the Son of God. And then when I was in college, some things happened to me. I was broken down, and God really took hold of my heart. So much so that as a junior in college, I started exploring what it would be like to, to go into the ministry. And I, and I looked at it for a long time. I talked to people I trusted. And, I, and I, I really explored what it would mean to be a pastor. And I started to think about it. But finally, it got to the point where I couldn't keep it a secret any longer. I mean, I, I had to tell my friends. I had to tell my fraternity brothers. I had to tell all these people who I thought, they're not going to get it. And they're not going to like it. 
they're not going to believe that God would ever want to use somebody like me. And you know what? I was actually really nervous. I didn't know if my friends would still like me. I didn't know if they would understand or if they would get mad or if they would turn their backs on me or just run away and call me a hypocrite. But then I finally mustered the courage to tell a few of the guys. And as I was bracing myself for the answer, after I told them that I wanted to be a pastor, that I was going to seminary, finally, one of them said, well, finally, a preacher that's just as bad as the rest of us. <laughs> finally, somebody who can understand. You know, a human priest is comforting because a human priest or pastor is someone who gets us because he or she is someone who knows what we go through because they've been through it. A human priest is not only a person who, who, knows the, who knows the Bible, he's also someone who knows your struggles, who knows your pain, who knows your challenges and your opportunities. This is what Jesus became for us. He's the God who, became, who cares enough to become one of us. He's the God who came down into the mud and the blood and the mess and the stress of our lives to prove that he loves us and that he cares. The author of Hebrews writes that for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Every priest comes from among men, but our high priest not only made sacrifices on our behalf, he became the sacrifice. You know, what other priest ever offered himself as the sacrifice? Uh-oh. I forgot to bring a ram. I forgot to bring a goat. Looks like it's going to be me today. No, that does not happen. I can tell you, <laughs> I would not do that for you. <laughs> but that's what Jesus did. He became our sacrifice. What other priest? No, whatever, what other God ever did that for his people? Gave his own life in sacrifice for humanity. He loves us. He gets us. And he cares enough to prove it with his own nail-scarred body. And therefore, he is gentle. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Jesus is gentle with us because he can honestly and authentically say, I remember what it's like to feel betrayed. I remember what it's like to be hungry. I remember what it feels like to lose someone. I remember what it's like to be tired. I remember what it's like to be abandoned or to be misunderstood. I remember what it feels like to be lied about. I know what it feels like to feel anguish, and I remember temptation. I remember humiliation. I remember pain. I even remember death. Jesus is someone who can say, I really do understand. I really do know what you're going through. Jesus doesn't roll his eyes or cluck his tongue at our struggles with sin. He has even been tempted as we've been tempted. Jesus knows our battle. And the Son of God did not put on flesh to shame us. He came to forgive us. He didn't come to enslave us. He came to set us free. And he didn't come to make us feel lower than we already feel. He came to encourage us and to build us up. 
He didn't come to condemn us. As a matter of fact, he said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through, the, but through him, the world might be saved. And so Jesus is the priest we want because Jesus is the priest who gets us. He's the kind that gets you and can sympathize with you because he knows where you've been and he knows where you are. So he's the priest that we want, but he's also the priest we need. First of all, unlike the other high priests that ever lived and died, he's alive. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus didn't stay in death. He didn't stay in the grave. He passed right through it. Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead, never to die again. And that makes him different from every other priest that Israel ever had. Jesus is the final priest between man and God because he's never going to die and therefore he will never not be there when we need him. Second, he is the priest we need because he is worthy. Jesus is a far better mediator between us and God than any other human priest could ever be even though he was tempted and endured every challenge that earth and hell could throw at him. Because even though he endured every challenge and every opportunity, every temptation that earth and hell could throw at him, he never gave in. He is the one who will in every respect, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can sympathize with us in our pain and in our dying, because he experienced that excruciating pain himself. But he can also sympathize with us in that gravitational pull of sin because he was tempted as we are. Have you ever thought about the temptations of Jesus? He was tempted to lie, to get out, to get out of trouble. He was tempted to escape, to save his life. He was tempted to take revenge when he was wrongfully accused. He was tempted to lust when... Mary dried his feet with her hair. He was tempted to hate his disciples for abandoning him and to hate the mob and the soldiers for killing him. He was tempted to use his power to abandon God's mission and save himself. He was tempted to turn stones into bread, to throw himself from the top of the temple and to bow down and worship Satan. But even though he was tempted as we are tempted, Jesus is worthy to take our sin on himself because he never gave in. He fought it all the way to the end and he defeated the monster every time. And that's different. From Aaron to the high priests in Jerusalem to the preachers of the present, from the televangelist scandals of the 1980s to the abuse scandals of the Catholic Church to the fall of so many prominent evangelical pastors and leaders from Chicago to Seattle, priests, lay leaders, clergy have broken trust and brought scandal and shame to God's people. For centuries, the human leadership of the church has given the bride of Christ a black eye. But that's why we put our trust in Jesus. 
We put our trust in him because he not only lived without sin, he took every temptation and turned it for our good and God's glory. He's beyond corruption because he has no ulterior motives. He runs no scams. All he cares about is his father's glory and our good. Nothing to compete with that. Third, he is the priest we need because he is the son of God. This high priest is not just a simple carpenter from Nazareth who went to the right schools, who got the right, who had the right connections, who's, you know, who, who made the right people happy and then was promoted to be a priest, promoted to an exalted position. He was not even born into the right family. Well, he kind of was. He was the son of God, but that's, that's how. <laughs> but he didn't get there the way most priests got there. He is there because he is the divine son of God who created the heavens and the earth. And so when Jesus, the high priest, takes, goes into the Holy of Holies, goes into the temple with his sacrifice, with our sacrifice, he doesn't take the blood of bulls or goats into the heavenly temple. Instead, he offers his own precious blood. He doesn't even offer anything else because he is the only sacrifice good enough and big enough to take care of and cover the sin of all God's people. He's the only one with the value and the magnitude to save us. And when God the Father sees this sacrifice for my sin, for your sin, he says, that is enough. That's all I need. The debt has been paid. My justice has been, has been satisfied and my glory is exalted. Finally, he is the priest we need because he is the source of eternal salvation. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus Christ did what only he could do. And therefore, because of him, the Father has given what only he could give. He's given us eternal salvation, the promise of eternal life, our final desperate hope when all other hope is lost. Hebrews says that he is the founder of our salvation who suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone and bring many sons to glory. All of that means that he not only has the power to make a difference in our lives and in our world now, he has the power to make a difference in our lives and in our world forever. Jesus Christ gave his life not only to set us free from the fear of death itself, but to set us free from all those other fears of mortality, great and small, that stalk us every day. Through his resurrection, he gives us a peace that comes from knowing that even if we die, we will live. 
that he will not let us go and that he holds us and that he holds everyone who believe in who believes in him in the palm of his hand. And so it's not just death itself. It's the fear of sickness, the fear of getting old, the fear of loneliness, the fear of pain, the fear of all of that stuff that he captures and he defeats through his own death and resurrection. And he will never let you go from his unfailing grip. He can change our lives now and forever. And so let me ask you this. Thinking back to the Ukrainians, thinking back to whatever personal war zone you may be in, what kind of God do you want and do you need when you pray? What kind of God do you want right now? You know, I want a God who cares about me. And I want a God who has the power and authority to make a difference in real time, in the real world, right now and forever. Because, you know, when we pray, we're really, we're really saying, you know what, God, I'm trusting you with all I've got because you're all I've got. So what kind of God do we want? One that cares. What kind of God do we need? One that can make a difference. Remember that Jesus Christ is your great high priest. And he is also the one who cares and has proven it and can make a difference in our lives now and forever. And remember that as, his, as our high priest, Jesus Christ reminds us that when we pray, we do not pray alone. Look at verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Because he is our great high priest, Jesus not only prayed for us while he was on earth, he is also praying with us now. Just as in the days of his flesh, Jesus takes our deepest needs and our greatest desires and he takes them to the throne of the Father. And so because of Jesus Christ, the one who is in ultimate control is also the one who loves us the most. Because of Jesus Christ, the eternal judge is also our beloved Father. And because of Jesus Christ... The throne of power is now the throne of grace. He's not just the God who rules. He's the God who cares. And because your high priest is the son of God himself, you no longer have a need of a human mediator. There's no middleman between us and God because Jesus Christ was the mediator between us and God. Through him, we have a direct relationship with the Father. The king upon the throne is your beloved father, and you are his precious child. He is the priest that we want, and he is the priest that we need. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, We need you right now, and we, we pray that you are the God that we want and that we need. We trust you. Our prayers right now are a gut check. 
We are putting it all on the line when we pray for one another, when we pray for ourselves, when we pray for our world, when we pray for the people of Ukraine and we pray for those whose, whose hearts are broken by personal tragedy. Lord, we are putting it all on the line when we come to you. And every time we pray, we are thinking somewhere in the back of our minds, is this worth it? Is it worth the risk? Is it worth it to bet my life on him? But Lord, through the life of your son, Jesus Christ, you've proven to us that you are, you are not only the God who understands us, the God we want, the one who gets us, but you are the one that we need, the one who has a power, has the power to take our broken lives and rebuild them, to take our broken world and restore it, to lead us into joy and the peace everlasting. So Lord, we turn to you asking that you would help us to see that you are the answer to our heart's greatest desire and the satisfaction to our greatest needs.